Hello and welcome to this month's episode of the London Rep podcast. My name is Leafy Darko. I am the founder and artistic director of the London Rep. If you don't know much about who we are, we are a production company that make work for the stage and screen and um, our focus is making work that centres the stories of people of colour across 2,000 years of European history. Um, we also make work that prioritises working class stories and really great, really challenging, complicated roles for women. Um, on this month's episode of the podcast, um, I was lucky enough to get to sit down and have a chat with Stephen Kavuma, the founder um, and leader of Diversity School, and that is an initiative he set up after graduating from the Central School of Speech and Drama with the aim of increasing the diversity inside drama schools and the ways in which drama schools look after their students of colour and students from other underrepresented backgrounds um, so that the drama school system is a, a, a sort of a more supportive and inviting place to be. Um, it's a really incredible thing he's doing. Um, it was really fun to sit down and chat to him about what inspired him to enter the arts, um, his journey as a, a writer and a director, the challenges he's faced and also some of his um, favourite things that he's reading at the minute. Um, I spoke a bit about my journey as a, a working class black female going through RADA um, on the acting course and yeah hopefully this will be really useful to you if if you want to train and you're looking for someone who who looks like you who's been through the system and, and can speak honestly about it um yeah we we had a, a lot of fun as well having a chat so hopefully you'll enjoy this episode too Stephen Kavuma. Hi. <laughs> Welcome to the London Rep Podcast. Hi. Thank, thank you. you so much for um, agreeing to do this. No, thank you for asking me to do it. No worries. We've, we've wanted to do this for ages, haven't yeah. we? Yeah. For like a year or whatever, but we've both been sort of... Very busy. Yeah, which is amazing. <laughs> um, so this is really, really satisfying. Um, yeah, I thought, let's just, let's just jump in. And I always ask a question that I hate being asked but I think it's really important for like people who um, want to go into the arts especially mm. if they don't see themselves represented to to hear the answer to which is like what made you want to be a writer director and like yeah how did yeah. how did your journey start yeah. <laughs> if that's not too pretentious a way no, of not it. at all <laughs> um I guess like um my journey has like I've always been writing so like I was writing at the age of like seven or like mm. you know six um and I was just writing stories I didn't know what why I was writing them I just happened to be the kind of thing that I was interested in at the time I just liked making up my own stories I liked escaping reality um and weirdly enough when I was watching like EastEnders or Doctor Who most times I would finish off the cliffhanger and I was always fascinated with what happens next after that cliffhanger so I'd write and make up stories and be like Den killed this person and <laughs> this is gonna happen here and this Thor 90s <laughs> 90s EastEnders 90s was like so shit hot I'm like, like who shot Phil Mitchell and yeah. was that 90s and Beppe yeah 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 so I was always like doing that stuff and um you know, more when I was a kid, I was really like fascinated in like Doctor Who. I was such a Doctor Who fan, mm. um, and my godmother was in Doctor Who, and I was like, amazing. "What the hell? How can you be on Doctor Who? That's amazing! I want to do that." Um, and then kind of like investigated how that happens, and through 
um, talking to her and listening to what she kind of was doing at the time, being an actress and being a writer. And I was like, mm, this is a very interesting path. I'm very interested in, in it, but I didn't, I wasn't like, I want to be a writer. I want to be an actor. This is what I want to do. I just wanted to be on TV because my godmother was on TV. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Mm. There was no kind of passion about it. Um, Who's your godmother? Helen Griffin. She passed oh, away. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, that's fine. Um, mm. So that's sort of like it really. That's sort of my journey into the arts. And um, when I was doing college, when I was at college, um, I um, was acting, doing a performing arts course. And then I kind of like changed my mind in the late course, in the late run of the course. And I wanted to do more directing and, and uh, writing stuff. I didn't want to act anymore. And somebody turned away and said, um, you know, you'd be a very good Shakespearean, black, a black Shakespearean actor. Why are you mm. stopping acting? And that really sat uncomfortably with me because mm. it was like, well, I don't want to be a well black Shakespearean actor. <laughs> um, and that's how really fucked up things were and still are. And I just wanted to write and direct and to be able to tell my own stories and to be in control of the narrative rather than being, you know, led by the narrative, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, because that's always, that's a weird thing that I encountered a little bit, I think, during, especially during training. Mm. Um, I've, I'm still pretty new, out. I graduated from RADA like two years ago, but um, in training there was a little bit of a sense of, do you want to play black roles? And mm. I'm like, well, I mean, what does that even mean? Yes, Every role exactly. I play is black. If I'm Juliet, she's black. Like, yeah. what else? Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. I don't know how to do anything else. I'm not trying to do anything else. Mm. I don't aspire to do anything else. And at the same time, all I'm going to do is go out and like live my truth. Yes. I'm just going to be, you know, blackety black whilst I do yeah, it. Yeah. And, but that's it. That's an all, I'm not, there's no action that mm. I put black in front of. And like, yeah, that is a, that is a, a th like an idea I really relate to. Uh, and, and sometimes the people saying it mean well, yeah but it's just you know that they've kind of misunderstood how to include yeah or how to like yeah um sort of make sense of the difference i guess they see in you yeah with the, especially with classical text yeah mm. sort of make you more aware of your race than you were before yeah literally because it's not interesting moment. to you no, in that way no. like it's like you know when you see yourself in the morning you clean your teeth yeah <laughs> you're not going i'm blackly cleaning my teeth <laughs> <laughs> so it's really it's quite it's quite a it's an interesting thing isn't it? it's like oh yeah okay you're kind of yeah you, you, you yeah it's weird as well because then you're thinking how much how much um aside from just like work on the role like how much work am I gonna have to do on you mm. to get you to see the work yeah. and not the 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 skin color not because I'm ashamed of it or I want you to try and exclude anything that, that comes with it culturally or whatever out of the room but just because yeah. like I'm also a, I'm a person that mm -hmm. is part of my like person-ness yeah. yeah. you don't sit in isolation yeah, like yeah, exactly. in that way it's like yeah it gets it, the cognitive dissonance is real <laughs> <laughs> it is it is and it's the way um, people look at you and examine you especially when you're on stage I find uh, you know actors when people, audience members talk about black bodies on stage, kind of makes me feel very, very uncomfortable. And especially in roles that we've never seen black people being played before. And that's not, I, I don't think it's because, 
I wouldn't say it was because you know someone's fault or whatever. I would say it's because of like the diversity of our imaginations. There's mm. there's a lack of diversity in our imaginations, and that's just because we haven't been given a very you know reality of life from, yeah, from yeah. all runs of people. Mm-hmm. You know, we when we get angry, when some people get angry about like James Bond potentially being played by a, a, you know a black person, and somebody gets angry about it. it's not you know it's because we've for so long in that role it's been played by a white man and so the world is telling us that James Bond is a white man yeah. you know even though it doesn't specify what race or you know what race James Bond is do mm. you know what I mean mm. those kind of things are like yeah mm. yeah yeah um something that uh, and like a reason why I want to wanted to set up the London Rep was this idea of like history is not the place that it's been sold to us as Mm. and the idea that um if something is set in like world war one yeah if your default then is everyone in that film is white you're lying yeah you're lying to yourself lying to us all and everyone is worse off because we've lied to ourselves as a nation about where we're from europe as a whole has done it as well yeah um and so we look into stories of like black Russians, um, black Italians in the Renaissance and, and all this sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and it, apart from the fact that, you know, as a person of color, it's quite a violent thing to do, to, mm. to be divorced from your context mm. and to have people sort of sell that as uh, an authenticity of vision in mm. some way. Mm. Um, I feel like just as a, as in terms of culture and like the work being made, we're just, we're having like diluted Mm. Um, we're 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 exposed to sort of diluted pieces of work, yeah. whether it's um, a ballet or a painting or yeah. a play or whatever it is. It's like wow! Imagine if that was as honest as could be about the world we live in today, the makeup of the world at the time it was made, all this sort of thing. Like mm. imagine what we don't know about ourselves that we could, or mm. you know. Uh, imagine the great artists we'd find because they'd see themselves and be inspired. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah. Um, I feel like maybe... Um, well, no, I don't think it's obvious if people haven't come across the diversity school yet. Yeah. But um, um, for people who don't know, um, what was the motivator behind like setting that up? And um, yeah, what what did you want to achieve? I feel like... Um, having been through the drama school system myself mm. and like having struggled because of the intersections of race and, and class I, I identify as working class um, I struggled on my journey <laughs> in training mm-hmm. I think just after I left I heard you'd set this up so to me I was like Rah, that's amazing <laughs> what a no brainer yeah. that's so good but for like people who are new to the the amazing work you're doing like yeah, yeah what, tell us a bit about that yeah so the diversity school started um, as a sort of event really that took place at Central School of Speech and Drama where I studied and and in my first year I was the black and ethnic minorities officer and Mm. that is basically somebody who's in the student union and who represents the black and ethnic minority students at Central and I think in in like having the post and like um, I just wanted to shake things up and I wanted to have an honest conversation about race and and, and, and how, you know, we talk to each other and how we deal with work that's presented to us and all those other, like, deeper stuff. Um, 
and also like a lot of it was because to do a lot of the stuff I was isolated mm -hmm. as you know the only black male in a year of 90 students I was isolated oh, wow. in my year yeah. group and so I kind of felt a little bit out of place I kind of felt a little bit weird I kind of felt that I shouldn't be at drama school I shouldn't be at central um all that imposter syndrome sort of suddenly like came rushing in all at once and it was all had to do with my race and my class you know mm. nothing else <laughs> nothing else you know it wasn't that you know that some of these people may have been more intelligent than me or um some of these people may have um you know um done more auditions than me it was nothing other than race and class that i think were a massive like uh factor in my in how well my education went mm -hmm. at central and so i put together this event and it was dear white people at the time um and i just wanted to have an honest conversation you know just to have the school and everybody talk about this because it felt like people never talked about it i was in my lectures and nobody ever spoke about race. I'd always pull up, we'd be talking about stuff and I'd always be like, well, how does race come into that? Because I believed uh, and still believe that when we're talking about stuff, if it's about feminism, feminism, if it's about class, if it's about disability, race has a massive factor into it. Of mm -hmm. course, as I know, you know, mm -hmm. um, and you know as well, mm -hmm. but I think some people and some lecturers at Central didn't really understand that race had a massive factor and playing field in the conversations that we were talking about. Um, and so the event had kind of two sections on it. It had testimonies from students of color, which I was interested about hearing because um, I'm a writer and verbatim theater is one of my like kind of favorite kind of forms of theater. Mm. Um, so I was really interested in hearing like from students themselves about their experiences. Of course I could talk about it. And of course I could be talking to people about their experiences and whatever. Um, but it just felt much more um, needed to have people's voices at this event, like really heard people's experiences, whether it would be if they can't find a book that's about to do with their race or if they're going through a horrific experience with, you know, students and teachers. Um, I wanted us to hear it and I wanted us to confront that as well. Um, and then we had a panel discussion of industry professionals who kind of fed in with their like, um, thoughts and experiences of this conversation. I think that for me was important because it opened up the conversation. Um, I always thought that it was a bubble, you know, being in drama school is a bubble and it can all, sometimes, you know, you're a RADA or you're a centra and it's like, we live in separate lives, mm. but actually we're living in quite similar lives and we never know how to connect with one another. One another. And this industry is, it's not, um, we shouldn't be like, oh, this is the industry, that's drama school. But actually, we should be looking at how the industry and drama school connect, vice versa. Do you know what I mean? Rather yeah. than it being isolated from one another. Um, and so that happened. And then I sort of went to the school and was like, well, you know, this event's happened. Let's do something about it. And they kind of turned away and said, we don't think there's a problem. <laughs> yeah, uh, we don't think nothing needs to change and I said to them actually it does you know at times I'm not the only black you know male um, student in the year of 90 I'm, sometimes I'm the only black person in the class in a lecture and somebody said in that meeting somebody said um, isn't it good that the only, you're the only black person and what's that mean I, exactly <laughs> and just like that I was like 
you don't get it. You don't mm. get this conversation. You don't get what we're talking about. Um, and you're not ready as a school to confront these issues. Kind of went away very angry, very frustrated. Didn't know what to do and didn't know how to do it. And then I had all these messages like from people in Canada, uh, from South Africa, from Scotland, all different people kind of saying, because the thing about uh, Day White Central is it happened um, with when Twitter was all blowing up. So the hashtag was following, you know, people were following the hashtag, hashtag and it was kind of trending. And so people could see what was happening, even if they were, uh, you know, away from Central or like outside of Central. Um, and then I realised that it's not just a central problem, that it's actually, it's everywhere. Every every drama school around the world or around the UK specifically has this issue. And then I just thought, let's do something about it. Came together with other uh, drama school students, uh, myself, Mumba and Mami kind of led the initiative and was like, well, this is what it stands for. And mainly the number one principle it does stand for is to, um, kind of give students a voice and to keep drama schools accountable and okay. to challenge them to kind of be an agitator you know I always felt like the government has you know the labor the labor team you know in opposition trying to challenge them mm-hmm. nobody should be running without somebody you know that can't challenge you, you yeah. that's crazy checks and balances and, exactly you know. yeah and um yeah that's our main principle but kind of from that we've kind of gone into other stuff and we're more looking at how we can provide systematic change and how we can provide policy change um because i think that's more important about the legacy of dra- uh, diverse schools and drama schools rather than us going on and talking about it and talking about it like if we can like we could have so many panel events do you know what i mean but we're actually not interested in that we're interested in getting down into the problem and finding solutions to these problems yeah because talk talk Conversations is important, but yeah. I think it's it's p- most effective when there's an action that exactly. can be taken as a direct result yes. of the conversation. Because I feel like, especially for people of colour, it's often, I feel like in terms of self-care and sometimes healing from like microaggressions yeah. or macroaggressions or whatever, yeah. it is, it's nice to come together with people and be like, let's talk and go, oh, I'm not alone. Or, mm. oh, that's an interesting sort of way of recovering from that kind of interaction with someone I hadn't thought of that. But then I feel like if you are not a minority affected by the issue, mm. what can become a thing that as a person of color, I perceive in people mm. who aren't minorities is that there's a using of that space and conversation mm-hmm. to, to come across as like, like more is going on mm. than is actually going yeah. on. Yeah. So it's like, oh, I took part in the conversation or I, or I just attended or I yeah. allowed it to happen amongst people of color. But then because I allowed that to happen, tick, Yes. job done yes and so whilst I felt like great you know that's helped my self-care I'm like but then the only reason this conversation needed to happen is because of daily repetitive actions mm-hmm. that needn't be taking place in the mm-hmm. first place and only action can counteract those those yeah. um, unhelpful and disturbing actions on the part of an institution yeah and so what I I feel like what you're doing is really valuable and when I look back at my time thank you no of course yeah, yeah I mean I, I say it as I see it, man. Um, um, I feel like when I look back at my time there, uh, uh, in training and, um, yeah, I just it, trying to come up through the arts and find a, mm. an, an avenue, I feel like there was, for me, a really stark difference between sort of 
displays, mm. shallow displays, sometimes deliberate, I yeah. feel, um, because it was like, oh, either we don't see the issue or we can't be bothered or yeah. that costs money and I want to spend money there. Sometimes well-meaning, but yeah. they didn't realise that actually that was a surface level way of helping, you know. Yes. Um, but I, I, I feel like there's a lot of, a stark difference when I look back between those sort of things mm. and then me feeling like I was being used as a, a statistic to sell work, um, diverse work that I didn't feel was actually going on in yeah. my daily experience. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, oh, rah, look at how, you know, maybe my face is on in that picture, in, in yeah. that material, or I know I am a percentage mark in that article yeah. that's been written about whatever, but the, my daily experience as a person of colour in this place yeah. is not about being, being a person of colour who's been looked after in this space. Yeah. I'm just sort of here. Yeah. You know, like yeah. wandering around going, what? Um, yeah. Um, with like going about um, these initiatives, mm. have you like faced any challenges or you, you said part of like what started it was feeling like or being told that the, 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 yeah. the Central as an institution didn't see the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, have you encountered since you've been, um, you know, um, writing out what what the actions you want taken are and all that sort of thing and getting like a board together and all that sort of thing and then getting these drama schools on board like have you encountered any further resistance or people starting to go if only for the shame maybe yeah. publicly saying no yeah. to an initiative as as yeah. um beautiful as this frankly have you <laughs> have yeah. you encountered any more or, or are people now uh, sort of more receptive for whatever reason yeah i think we in the early stages and we still face a lot of resistance now because um a lot of it is to do with fear mm. a lot of it's to do with fear of change and um kind of people looking rather than looking at diversity as an opportunity people are looking at something to be afraid of and something that's going to take away something from them it's all that old like you know kind of myth about immigrants so immigrants are going to take away their jobs and immigrants are going to do this rather than saying well actually if we have more immigrants come in our nhs will be better our education system will be better blah 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 um but i think a lot of this to do with fear and we have met a lot of resistance from drama schools because a lot of it is trying to push that change and trying to push them further and saying okay cool you've committed to this how is this going to happen and when is this going to happen and what are the steps are you going to do about it and even now, with our five partner drama schools, Mountview, Rada, Bristol Old Vic, Guildhall, and said, we do face a lot of um, challenges with them. And all five schools are at different places around the conversation and around actually enabling diversity. Um, some are forward and some are backward. So it's about doing the hand-holding with some people. And actually, with some people, it's just about just giving them a gentle push and they're off. Um, but there are a lot of challenges and it, it's also about how you communicate the message to di- about diversity um, and reassuring people because some people have been in this like game as you know for like a hundred years <laughs> and are very set in their mind about yeah. how things should be um, and it's always important to reassure them that actually you know things are just going to get better if we have this amount and actually it's not about having five it's about saying really and honestly saying is this room diverse as you would want it to be you know? mm. and mm-hmm. that's important but we have like faced a lot of challenges and resistance as everyone yeah. does because it's it's yeah. it's a very um i think um you know looking at change and looking at like 
um, all the history that's happened around um, uh, the civil rights movement, the Black Lives Matter movement, all these movements that have happened in the UK and the US and around the world, there's always there's always met with resistance. And a lot of it is in isolation that you meet this resistance. Mm. Um, and actually what we want to do is partner up with these five drama schools and say, let's change it. Let's change these five schools and the rest of them will follow. Because that's what happens, actually. Yeah. The trend happens and people go, crap, we need to go on the bandwagon. When we released and announced our five drama schools, we had so many schools inbox us and say, we want to be on board, we want to be on board, we want to be on board. And they didn't even know what they want to be on board. <laughs> but they wanted they to. They hadn't be... read the contract. No. They were just like. <laughs> we want to be on board. Diversity. Yes, let's go. <laughs> so I think that's what's going to happen once we see that, like, mm. those bigger policy changes, you know. Mm. A lot of those schools will be asking themselves, why aren't we doing this? Yes. You know, if Rada's doing this, then we need to do this. Mm -hmm. If, you know, Mark View's doing this, then we need to do that. And that was like a big sort of sense at, um, when I was at drama school, this conversation where you might point something out to the school, mm. but there was a sense of what is the function of a drama school? Is the function of the drama school to set a trend mm. that you hope will be taken up by the industry? Or is the function of the drama school to serve the industry mm. by going, oh, this is what the industry wants at the minute. So this is what we'll put mm. on the syllabus to enable mm -hmm. um, graduates to sort of mm. easily sort of fit into, fit into that. And I think, you know, as a as a as a working class person of colour, I was a bit like, oh well, I would rather you train me for the industry that could be rather than the industry mm. that is yes. actually, yeah. or the, or train me with what I need to go change the industry rather yeah. than fit into whatever mm. <laughs> the situation you know uh, currently currently is or was then because this was before the, when I was at drama school, it was, I I was there twenty fourteen to seventeen. So this was before Black Panther, before Crazy Rich yeah. Asians. It was really quite, before Me Too. Yeah. Um, before um, any sort of schemes to, to lower the, well, maybe there were some, but I didn't, I didn't know of them. Yeah. Schemes to lower the entrance fee cost to yeah. auditioning and all mm. this stuff. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> what yeah. you're doing is so cool. Man. Oh, thanks. So, so cool. No, but I, I think you are right. Like, what should... I'm sort of having that conversation with myself and thinking, what is the responsibility of drama schools? Like, what is their, like, objective and what should they be doing as, mm. like, a 21st century drama school? Should you be serving the industry or should you be changing the industry? Yeah. You know, yeah. and I think those are very two different things. And once a school is very clear about what it wants to do, then you can say, fair, that's what you want to do. That's your objective. But I think the minute what's happening is kind of schools are a bit wishy-washy about it. They're like, oh, I don't know. I want to serve and I want to change, but I'm not sure. And then you're like, well, no, you can't actually do both. Do you know what I mean? You can't serve it and change it. Yeah. You need to, you know, you need to look at your school institution and be like, well, the people we're putting in the industry are this sort of people. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, yeah, 100%. And I feel like I felt the burden very much on, which was quite a lonely experience, mm. in, even though... Um, I was in a year at the t at the time. Uh, my year, I believe, was the most diverse in Rada's history. I think there were eight people of color. It was uh -huh. t there were two of us girls, um, and the rest boys of color in in the year. Mm. Um, and I think subsequent years were were a bit more diverse than that, which mm -hmm. is quite nice. Um, but I felt that there was this kind of weird burden on me if I wanted to change something that that was up to me mm. and that almost the expectation I felt was that if I really had 
my shit together, I would be able to pick up things that are taught with an assumption of whiteness behind them and find a way by myself to make them applicable and relevant to me and then go out in the industry and deploy that. And there was a sense of, well, for example, if we teach this swathe of accents, you know, Mm. um, which, for example, you might point out, oh, of course, of course, um, there are there are people of colour all over. But if I'm doing like a Dublin accent, mm. um, what for me as a as a black person is that something that is directly applicable to the sort mm. of things I'd go up for in the industry? Mm. And part of me is like, yeah, but the people of colour in Dublin don't see themselves represented, and at least now no one could go well because we can't find people that can do the accent, yeah. right? Sure, that's one thing. Um, however, I would suggest that cast people from Dublin who are people of colour and give them opportunities <laughs> yeah. but I felt that is one argument but I did also think that that wasn't necessarily the spirit in which it was being done it mm. was more being done as well this is what the white students need to succeed and as a person of colour what you should be able to do is work out what is applicable to you and go well if I can do a Dublin accent because I can break vowels down or whatever I can apply it to like a Ugandan accent yeah. and I'm like yeah but that's a hoop that you're not making the white students jump through yeah. and you know there, I, I, I was lucky enough to get scholarships and stuff, but in principle, I'm not paying less than them. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And and, but I felt very much it was like, well, you know, we that that's that's the sort of you know, yeah, uh, 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 an imaginative leap that you are gonna by yourself have to make. Yeah, and I don't know if it's changed in the couple of years since I've left. I would hope, especially with the work you're going in and and doing stuff, there's a greater awareness of that. Um, but that was a really kind of odd and isolating thing. You know? Yeah. And then you think it's your fault. Yes. You think you, you take on the, you take on that sort of, you know, if I was good at acting, yeah. you know, then I, then this shit would make sense to me or I wouldn't feel this level of discomfort or whatever. And yeah. I feel like it took me a while to stop, to, to go, it's not your fault. No. Leaf. It's not your fault, you know, and sort of um, just be like, right. Um, and I remember having a conversation uh, with with a member of staff once, um, saying, "What was it about?" But it was a big, it was a big sort of aha moment in mm-hmm. in terms of like doing this production company thing. Where that was it. I think it was something to do with again casting and this this real confusion that I felt in terms of what do we cast. Mm. You as do we cast you black or do we cast you not? And I'm yeah. is that? And I remember thinking or saying that Queen Victoria had a black goddaughter, and um, that I was interested in that. And so she was black, but she would have spoken most likely a sort of heightened RP and mm. done a lot of the things actually that um, at the time I was there were on the Rada syllabus in terms of classes that help you move in a very sort of maybe period sort mm. of style and that sort of thing. And the fact that when I was at drama school I didn't necessarily look out into the industry and see heaps of work being made with Mm. those sort of characters being written didn't mean that that role by the time I graduated wouldn't exist and I remember the response was okay Leafia yeah I mean who knows Mm. maybe someone will write that (laughs) and it suddenly occurred to me I was like oh rah you don't look at me and think I'm the person that's gonna do it because that was why I was saying it and I was like right so now I'm gonna have to leave here and go in my own little way go change it yeah which i was kind of like i don't really want to have to do that i'd quite yeah. like to just muddle along be an actor but that was a huge like ah, aha yeah. moment of ah and i just saw in the face and i 
I was like, right, and that confirms for me that you're not training me to go out and change the world because you don't believe I can. Mm. Or that was my perception. I was like, my perception is you don't believe I can. Mm. Or you don't believe that training me for something that doesn't yet exist yeah. is worth it or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then I was like, great, I've not been imagining things. Mm. That is the way. And fine, if that's what I'm going to have to do, so maybe hopefully future generations of colour mm. going through training won't have to, then fine, I'm going to go, I'm going to sit in the class, I'm going to learn things that are taught with this assumption of whiteness. And then I'm going to go out in the industry and, and go, okay, how do I add my own flavour? Mm. And then hopefully create a ton of work so that people are like, people of colour have monologues. Yeah. And there are period pieces um, that, that have the black people that were around at the time in and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, <laughs> it was like a, um, it was a thing. Do you ever sometimes think, Jesus, I survived? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Always. I have those moments sometimes Always. where I'm just randomly at curse me and I'm like, how did I, I like mentally yeah. get through yeah. some of the, yeah. the, the, just the, it's the mental, yeah. you know. And I think that's the, the really like concerning stuff for me, the mental health aspect of it. Because I think there are some people who are kind of like, bonfighters and they like fight oh. you know and there's some people who are not um and it's okay if you're not do you know mm-hmm. what i mean not everyone's supposed to be a fighter no. um but then actually what happens is people are then forced to be you know i think this thing that's what's happening is drama schools are certainly coming and saying well because you're disabled then you should do the disabled work or because you're black then you should be doing the black work and actually it's like well you're the school i'm paying you it's not the other way around yeah you're not paying me to study. Mm-hmm. I'm paying you to teach me. Mm-hmm. Therefore, you should be able to do your job. And if your job is to facilitate this conversation, then you should be facilitating it. Yeah. I should not be taking the burden of looking after, I don't know how many, 200, 300 students for you, doing your job for you, not getting paid for it. Mm-hmm. So I'm paying you, that's crazy. you know. And I think we need to also look at like, what happens when you know, kind of the numbers of you know black or Asian students kind of drop down mm. once they get accepted and once they're in second or third year and they're like I can't actually finish this year and we need to look about why that is why that's happening because I think a lot of it has to do with race has to do with class has to do with the fact that they don't fit in that the fact that they don't belong um that imposter syndrome coming down to them mm-hmm. um all of that stuff yeah like a thing that I used to I remember saying quite a lot when I was at drama school often in floods of tears because of um, various sort of microaggressions mm. and things that would happen is I'd be like I understand if you're coming at this with own, having only lived an entirely like white experience yeah. so you might not have known um, something would be quite quite painful to experience but what I don't excuse because you have a duty of care over me in this situation is you not asking yeah you didn't ask the questions i don't expect you to have the answers and in fact sometimes it's a bit offensive if you think you've got the answers to things that you've not experienced when i've i've been black since you know (laughs) in the womb funny enough so you know i think i'm the expert on that so for for me anyway and and and, um, my personal sort of boundaries or like you know things like that and it's like Mm. I, i i'm not sitting here expecting you to be psychic or to understand a black experience because of course you know another thing I'm big on is the nuance between people of colour and we're not all like a monolith you know or a a homogenous sort of brown blur we've all got different you know needs and things that need to be listened to but I don't excuse the fact that you don't have that lived experience it's your 
your full time paid job. Yeah. And you didn't ask the question. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and it's okay to you. And I used to go in floods of tears and I'd point that out and I'd say, I'm sick of teaching you how to teach me. Yes. This is your yeah. job. This is your yeah. literally all you're paid to sit and yeah. do. Is is this why am I here again? And then something else would happen. I would be like, but we had the conversation. I said ask, which I didn't even have to invite because again, like you say, as a student, it's not your responsibility to diversity train the staff teaching you. They should mm. have other mechanisms that don't involve interfering with your learning uh, to get the information. But there were some situations where I'm like, look, you need the answers. And at the end of the day, it's hurting me and affecting me that you don't have the answers. So if you need to ask me, ask me yeah. before going ahead and s setting certain work or whatever, but do come and ask me, no questions. And then something would happen. I'd be like, why didn't you ask me? Sort of no mm. real reason really given about why that was. And then I'd be like, again, I'm sick of teaching you how to teach me. Yeah. And um, that was a really um, stressful, like, part of the mm. of the process um i feel like at the same time it's like a really complicated thing because when people ask me like do you sort of regret going to drama school or whatever i have to say like i don't not mm. at all mm. in that i felt i was sold especially i was fortunate to, to get into rada so i didn't really get into anywhere else mm -hmm. um i think i got into the ma at central when it used to be classical acting or contemporary acting yes, or yeah, wh yeah. whatever it's called um um but then i i i also got into rada and i was like well let's see if i can get some funding for that and things um and i feel like what i was sold especially with like the rada brand or whatever was this sort of world-class training and i feel like I spoke to people who've gone to, to schools and they felt that at the time they were there, they didn't get what, what they were sold. And I have to mm. say with the technical training, I do feel like I was lucky and that's what I got, you know, with mm. the voice and the movement work and classical text analysis, this sort of thing. I do feel that's what I, I got. I think my difficulties came when it came to the application of that learning. Mm. Um, I mean, there, it's, it's not to say there weren't difficulties in being the person of colour in the room sometimes in first and second year where we were doing the technical training. But when I look back on how the performer I was before I went there and, you know, post third year, I'm like, oh no, I mean I left with quite a lot of things that mm. that um I found invaluable. So I feel like at the same time I would say to other people of colour that if you can train, like do. Yeah. Um absolutely the struggle is real mm. um, with like, for example, I, I, the first, as a working class person, I turned down rather when I got in because I couldn't afford to go um, because I'd had the, the I'm, I'm part Ghanaian and I think some of the culture, you know, is about, you know, you do an academic mm. thing and then you go get a proper job. <laughs> and so um, I had a bit of resistance in my family to, to me training and, um, and then compounded with that was like, um, a lack of resources from mm. from what what my family had wanted was me to go to regular uni so mm. i did that and then whilst i was there i think it was whilst i was there the rule changed that you can't have a second degree of equal qualification ah. so i'd already got a ba so yeah. then i couldn't apply for a student loan yeah the second time yes yeah and didn't think i'd get into rada then got in and had to turn it down because i couldn't take out student loan mm. and then they they let me uh take a year to fundraise so then i got um like a day job worked all mm. the hours you know um raised a little bit of money it literally only lasted me i don't know if it even lasted me all the first year 
wow. they they gave me a little bit of funding but then I actually worked and did the RADA course at the same time for mm. the first and second year, which was wow. mental. It was like 70 hour weeks. Can I had imagine. to still do the ushering, you know? So like I went to them, I was like, please, I know that it says, you know, ushering, but as a working class person, the ushering is for free and that's hours I could work. And every week I never knew if I was gonna have money for my Oyster card, you know? Yeah. Can I please? And they were like, no, this is the contract you signed. Wow. <laughs> that was the reception I got and it was, it was kind of like no you you knew when you signed that that was a thing mm. you we everyone has to do it we can't uh-huh. let you not do it so then I had to usher for free during mm. the third year shows as a first and second year and go work in like I did like coffee and I worked in like a, a retail capacity in a furniture shop and I did the full RADA week and I did the RADA homework mm all at the the same time and I was trying to like find funding from people um, and that it was it was not I'm not gonna lie and be like I had the regular drama school experience yeah. I didn't I weren't really at the pub with people at the end of the week I I, I didn't get to make friendships at the, in the way I would have liked to mm. so I have loads of friends from the from the year we were a very um, a happy year but mm. I wanted to be able to go to people's houses and enjoy, you yeah. know, join in the barbecue thing. I didn't have that. So I'm not saying, you know, if you're working class and you want to train that you're going to have, you're, you're just, I think what I'm, what I'm saying is you're not going to be able to engage with the course necessarily as a middle class yeah. person does. Yeah. And if that is the drama school experience you've been sold as the only legitimate experience, you're going to constantly feel like you're doing something wrong or you're left out of all of the juicy bits or whatever. Yeah. Um, but what I would say is, for a start, you're better prepared for the real world industry mm. because you everyone comes out whatever background they're from and mm. everyone is starting at, basically as a startup at day mm. zero, right? And mm. if you've come up knowing that you've had to scrap for your right to act, mm. that you that, that when you graduate drama school isn't the first time you don't inevitably get to, yeah. to be doing theater, that's I think a healthy thing. Um, but yeah, I think, I think, yeah it was just I would still say like I don't regret that I did it yeah but I want to acknowledge how 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 um, deliriously tired doing like yeah. 70 plus hour weeks and your colleagues aren't but you're and you're in class and you're like falling asleep mm. and they're all wide awake and then mm. you have a Easter holiday and they go away and they like their their parents take them on holiday somewhere mm. and you're working another 40 50 hours a week every week of the holiday then you come back so you've not had a break then you do another 12 week to like I mean the struggle is real yeah. but it's doable like yeah I, I do want people to know like yeah you can you can come through the other side you know yeah. um yeah <laughs> it's possible like it's it possible. possible but um, it's hard but it's possible it's hard but it's possible yeah and I think what you also then have is a unique perspective because there there isn't a day in my life I get on stage and play a part mm. as if that isn't the material I come from, as mm. if I haven't had to scrap like that yeah. for to 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 get to be on the yeah. stage. And I think that's really powerful. Yeah. Because you know, as much as I acknowledge I did a lot of scrapping to get there, I feel like there are a lot of people with talent from a background like mine who in spite of scrapping haven't mm. managed to to get through a training like mm-hmm. that or whatever and get the opportunity so i'm mm-hmm. like you know what i'm gonna be here and represent and yeah. like wear it as a badge of badge yeah. of honor yeah absolutely mm. did, did you because you did the writer director course isn't it yeah um, central yes um 
did you find that there were challenges then um, class-wise as well to, because you mentioned a little bit that sort of in the room, that was a thing. Did you find that the journey wanting to be a writer-director into getting a place on the course, did you find Um, difficulty there? As my class, well, as, uh, as, well, do you mean like my class being a barrier into yeah. getting into well, I guess it. it's always like an intersectional thing isn't it yeah. so I guess very same class but yeah I think I think a lot of like um stuff to do with my class came about you know <clears throat> I think when um students were able to afford certain things that you couldn't like for example the the list of books that you're supposed mm. to order <laughs> oh my god that before. equipment list yeah that was and, a that was a, a real <laughs> and that was that was another thing about the just like going you have to usher for free yeah one thing was like I'd asked how much the course fees cost and I'd literally been told the course fees and then yeah. then after a year of doing all this work I had been sent the letter with all the equipment and I'm like but where's the money exactly. coming from like there's not a I, money I, tree I can't afford that what's this leotard <laughs> this book that book and then that yeah. was stress you know yeah but I didn't buy any of the books that they um, <laughs> and I think you know, partly was, you know, yeah, I couldn't afford it, but also I wasn't going to buy it. And I think a lot of people, you know, in my first year, people were saying, why didn't you get the book? Why didn't you get the books? Yeah. Um, and I sort of gave a little washy answer saying, you know, the books are in the library. Like if I want to read them, I could go read them in the library. And I think there was a lot of stress about these books being very important in your three years of education. Actually, they weren't that important. And what happened was a lot of us, you know, not, I'm not just the only person like, who had this issue, but a lot of us had kind of went in our way and felt really insecure. And our, our, our class and our finances were kind of exposed out on day one of not being able to afford these books, which I felt and still feel is like, it shouldn't happen. You know, they, I, it's not, I think, you, you know, I think everyone who is different just wants to be. You know, they just want to be and and left to be to, to be themselves. And as soon as things are exposed that they, you know, that money's a barrier or that, you know, being here because you're black is, is another barrier, all these kind of things, then you start to think about, you start to put yourself in boxes rather than seeing yourself as a person, really. And it's actually quite, you know, it doesn't do the training that well. But I don't... Um, I think I did face a lot of challenges and some I haven't really discovered yet. But, you know, language was another one. People say all these very big fancy words and you wouldn't have an idea what they meant, you know? Yeah. You, you wouldn't know and it, it's all the same stuff and you're just going, what, what are they saying and, and why are they saying that? You know, I always found out that people speak in a certain way to exclude you, you know? In this industry and especially in dramas as well, people often speak smartly to show themselves off at you and to show that you will never be as clever as them you know rather than saying let me include you in this conversation let's have an honest debate about you know whether you think this is right but it's actually rather saying you're stupid you don't know anything here and you shouldn't belong here Mm. and I often find that those conversations exist in drama schools and those conversations exist in the industry when you're talking about a play at press night or you're talking about something with somebody after a show and it actually goes to show that some people really have a very exclusive way of talking and and being which is very it's very nasty 
the way it comes across is very nasty. Like it, there's nothing about it that makes you feel that you should be here. Yeah. That kind of way. So I think language was another barrier and still is a barrier. Mm. Language you know. is power. Isn't yeah. It? Yeah. Absolutely. Language is power. And I think what I struggled with, uh, at, which I think is probably a very work, a much a working class thing, was um, technical theatre terms. Mm. This assumption that I knew what upstage and downstage yes. was was mad. Yes. And like, you know, things like, um, we'll spike that. What, is, yeah. what does that mean? <laughs> Literally everyone in the room knew yeah. what that meant. And I was like, what? Yes. And I, I didn't want to ask. I was thinking like maybe I'll, maybe I'll just pick it up. Or yeah. then I'm thinking maybe what did I not read? Maybe we set this as homework. Maybe I didn't get an email. Yeah. With all, I literally thought there was a literal memo, not metaphorically speaking. I thought there was a literal memo that I had just missed in my inbox. Yes. Yeah. I was literally searching, but I was like, we didn't get an email on this. Why does everybody know? And then it turns out, you know, maybe if you go to a certain kind of school that has a lot of budget to do yeah. to do big plays, you've been doing all the know, plays yeah. forever, or you know if you come from an acting family or whatever that it's just the, uh, the assumption that I knew all of these technical terms was really quite anxiety inducing it took me ages to buck the courage up to even like ask what some of them mm. meant or the embarrassment I felt when I'd get upstage and downstage wrong you mm. know or the stage stage right and stage left yeah and working out like yeah which is it from the audience perspective or on to, you know um and really thinking again it was my fault like I should know that by now maybe I'm not working hard enough if I was working hard enough I would just know these things you know um yeah (laughs) that's a really like Mm. that's a really good point um I think that's pretty much for me like all the questions that I could could think of um is there like anything that you like wanted to talk about that you think of Um, um I think um, I think that there's a lot of pressure for people to. Okay, let me think about this. Mm-hmm. I think, as people, humans, mm-hmm. we put our things or our you know hopes and dreams into a person um, who we believe that person will do that, or who we want that person to do that. So I think the example for me is a lot of people put a lot of stuff and whether they know that they're doing it or whether mm. they're doing it, um, a lot of people put a lot of stuff um, into me and say, well, could you please do this? Could you please do that? And I think that's a lot of, you know, for someone to take on. Um, and maybe that is because I'm in this, you know, position of, of power that I'm able to, you know, do certain stuff. But actually I think there's something quite dangerous about that. And actually, you know, instead of putting our hopes and dreams in somebody, instead of expecting a leader, that we should look in ourselves and say, well, what can I do? Mm -hmm. What change can I provide? What um, small things can I do to achieve the things that, you know, I'm asking for? Do you know what I mean? Mm. Because I think, you know, like we put our dreams in, like the Obama moment when Obama <laughs> became president we yeah. were like well this is it this mm. is the person who's going to sort everything and even now like you know Obama can't even say Black Lives Matter and I think there's a there's a reason to that of course but actually there's you know if we waited for Obama to do something about Black Lives then there wouldn't be a Black Lives Matter movement mm. do you know what I mean mm. um, and we should always be looking in ourselves and saying well what can I do what little change can I provide instead of like going, ah, oh, this needs to happen, this needs to happen. Mm, do you know what I mean? No, I hear you. I feel that, 
I remember the night he got um, elected, but mm. he was he was like president elect. Yeah. Um, and wasn't in office yet, and he made like a, a speech. Yeah. Um, and I remember watching it with my grandma, who's born in the thirties, mm. and um, I'm of mixed heritage, so my grandma's half white English, half Bayesian, mm. um, and she she was um, born and raised raised here um, just before the Second World War, so she's you know. She's seen a lot of she's things, lot. and and but not she doesn't have an immigrant's experience of being black and British. Mm. Um, so, but and she she saw um, him making that speech, and I remember her. I remember being like, "Yeah, this is like amazing," is, yeah. and like you know, um, her her dad. Um, he, I'm, I'm not sure if he was a slave or his parents were enslaved, mm. and he 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 ran away from the plantation and changed his name, and then came to rural England in in the oh, 1880s. Wow. So that was her dad, mm. um, and I remember thinking, oh, imagine if he could see now, you know, yeah. this moment. And my grandma was like, oh, I feel sorry for Obama, and I was like, why? And she's like, everyone thinks he can walk on water, but you just wait. Yeah, he's he's a he's a black man. Yeah, in the world, and yeah. that's it. And I'm thinking, what's what's that mean? What does that mean? And then I started to see what see what yeah. that meant actually, and that there's there's no level to which you can rise where you can't where the system that is at work yeah. isn't re- doing yeah. things. And then I felt it must be really hard to be Obama because in a way mm. people were sort of doing that lazy thing of look at me having this handshake moment yeah. with Obama that now means I've filled my diversity quota yeah. for the foreseeable yeah. do you know what I'm saying but without actually any actions yeah. taking place yeah. and, and so I feel like he must have had like this crazy uh, pressure mm. you know not that I wasn't like frustrated at times yeah. um, not that I didn't Re- rejoice a lot of the times at yeah. just the sheer representation or yeah. the things he, he did do you know um, but like I was going what must it be like to be like trying to play the political game which is mm. complicated when white people are playing it in a system that benefits yeah. them but how does that work when people are putting all their hopes and dreams yeah. in you but the reality is the, the system is not there to yeah. allow melanin to rise be, yeah. you know beyond a certain place mm. and um yeah, I think I, I I hear what you're saying, and I think especially as a millennial, mm. I feel like we're used we're used to at least being we have these little platforms mm. via social media, exactly. which you know previous generations of people of color didn't have in the same way to get yeah. their voices out. And so I think going actually, what what can I do on a personal level, on a local level, yeah. or in my own little way? If I have like five followers, <laughs> what is it that I can do? Yeah. In my own way, that make that doesn't compromise my own self care yeah. and my own, you know. Yeah. I feel like sometimes I feel more like fragile than others. Yeah. Um, and don't feel like having the conversation, and I I learned to forgive myself for that. Yeah. Um, but I went into, um, I do music as well, um, and I went into a music shop this past weekend, mm. and it sells folk instruments. And if you want a folk instruments, it's one of the most known um, music shops in London oh, for that. Wow. And I walked in and I'd been planning for two weeks to go visit it on a day off after an intense week. And I was so excited to, to go there and like, yeah. oh, these weird instruments that, you know, and, and unusual instruments that I never normally get to play. And it's going to be a really nice, relaxing weekend. And this is how I'm going to treat myself. So I walk into this music mm-hmm. shop and before anyone can talk to me, of course, everyone in there is white. Um, but before anyone can talk to me, yeah. I look to my right, right by the front door. 
and there is a shelf of different like anthologies of music mm. and I shit you not right there in front of me was an anthology of minstrel songs wow and on the cover was a white man in blackface wow 2019 wow and then I thought today I looked around the shop there's maybe three to six white men in it mm. like all of them maybe like six foot some quite well built they seem like cheery enough but at the same time for me I'm like they were all okay with this being here. Yeah. One of them done the ordering of this book into the shop in the first <laughs> yeah. place. So for me, as like um, a black female of like five foot three, just about on a yeah. good day, like, do I want to have a conversation that I don't know they're ready to have yeah. about exactly how triggering that is for mm. me? And would it even be listened to? And I mm. came here as a way to relax on my day off. Mm. And then you have the issue which is where the system is most cruel in that as a musician of of um, a certain level of experience mm. with you know the nuance that comes with that experience that is one of the best places mm. not just in london but maybe in the country to get mm. those kind of folk instruments so mm. it's like i don't have a choice of going to a different yeah. shop so, yeah. do you know what i'm saying it's like if i want a folk instrument of that quality and the knowledge behind that instrument i have to be in that in that place. you know what i mean yeah. and then i was like Maybe on another day of the week or something, I might have gone and tried to have a conversation yeah. about it. But for some reason, that day I was like, I really don't have the energy. Yeah. I don't. And I've got to forgive myself for that today, yeah. but also be okay with how that, that, that on a cellular level, yeah. that, that has hurt me, having a look at that. And then at the same time, do a weird thing, which is, but I don't think I should deprive myself of this really exciting trip that I'd planned yeah. for a couple of weeks on this day at this time to go spend some hours playing some folk instruments that I've never met before mm. and also I don't want this thing to then mean I'm going to end my day and not allow myself to do that mm. so then there's this really weird thing of me sitting there playing on these folk instruments but in the corner is a white man in blackface on a book cover yeah. of minstrel songs yeah. and six white men in a shop all clearly okay with, with it yeah. weird yeah. the things you go through as a person of colour in yeah. the world isn't it mad and um, but yeah I, I, I do think it's I think it's a balance isn't it between doing what you can and feel safe doing yes. with account Absolutely. you know to be accountable um, choose your battles and I think constantly in the world that we're living in there's so many things that are happening that are trying to remind you that you don't belong that you shouldn't be in this world that are trying to neglect you and isolate you there's so many things politically happening in this world in some moments it's actually saying I'm going to pick this battle and I'm not going to pick that battle mm -hmm. and I'm not going to be able to fight that fight yeah. for my own care Yes, there isn't that, that fight on Twitter that's happening there's no way I'm going to get <laughs> yeah. included in it as much as I want to say something for my own care there's no way I'm going to speak about it mm. you know and that's about saving yourself and saving yourself for something else that's worth fighting for yeah. or that's much bigger than that or that's um that you can give your energy to you know to that to that fight mm. if you don't help yourself you can't help others you yeah know? exactly exactly that mm. yeah right see that's good um oh a quick one last yeah one, is, is there anything books films something on stage at the minute that you would say go have a look at that yes uh lancisse's book um his new one called let me try and google it yeah, go for it. Right. So the book is called My Name is Why. 
Um, my name is Y. My name is Y. And it's by Lem Sissay. And it's, you know, it's, it's about this, it's his story of being in care, being in, you know, racist Britain. Um, and a lot of it is to do with belonging. Um, and I find that the story is so beautiful and so um, saddening as well. And like, you feel all these emotions, like he takes you on a little journey where you see his life from birth to him being an adult now. And when you're like, well, why is that happening? How can that be happening? In moments I was like, yes, I relate so much to what you're saying. Um, and that, you know, moments where like, thank you for articulating that experience. Uh, better than I have. It's such a really, really good, good book. Amazing. I might match you with one actually. Yeah. Um, before we finish, I've been for research for different projects yeah. for the London Rep. I was reading um, a book by David Olisoga ah. called Black and British. Ah. Outstanding. Is it's it? It's literally um, a history of Black Britain um, from like the Roman times. Yeah to pretty much the modern day um like the 20 the 20th century you know and um yeah it's like black tudors black victorians blah 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 you know it goes goes all all the way through the 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 first and second world wars but from a in a way that you don't often hear you Mm. know um really and it's not a textbook it's not like a an Mm. academics history book Mm. so it is full of of um useful information and as much as statistics can be found because you know obviously a, the 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 one of the challenges with trying to research the past and trying to find voices of color in mm. it is that people weren't really looking mm. to give people of color the mic and people weren't collating yeah the you know in terms of numbers how many people were there or when and and, and how they they were living and yeah. all this sort of stuff and because it's often i guess linked to conflict or needing a certain kind of workforce mm. for certain rebuilding things at different periods in history it's often very male as well mm. um but as much as can be found yeah. um david Ollis, david olisoga's put in this book and oh, amazing. it's amazing and i did it on audible um it's about 28 hours on audible but i just did it over about a month on my commute <sighs> and it's read by cobner holbrookmith who's Amazing. A lo- lovely guy. Yeah. I was lucky enough to do a panel with him a couple of weeks ago, and he's just lovely. Oh, I really like it. him, yeah. um, and a really great actor. And yeah. so he reads it out, and uh, yeah, so that's my shout. So we've oh, got Lem Sis uh, say yeah. my name is Y, uh-huh. and we've got um, David Olisoga, Black and British. I'm gonna there we go. Get that on Audible. Do it. Yeah. We've, we've had a nice book exchange now. Yeah. <laughs> Should you do the London Rep Book Club? Yeah. <laughs> I'll, do, I'll get some other things done first. I don't want to overwhelm myself <laughs> with projects. I'll do too much. Yeah. Um, Stephen Kavuma, it's been amazing to have you on. Oh, I really you. appreciate it. You're a super busy guy, oh. and like I really respect you and all that you're doing. And Likewise. you know, Thank you so much. Um, I, I, I'm a diversity school stan. <laughs> like you know um yeah just really pre- appreciate you you being here and thank you for your time no thank you for asking me to do this and thank you for doing this like this like amazing and like, i've seen all the stuff that you've been doing online um so come on and doing this and thank you thank for asking you, me to be part of it oh no man of course so, right back at you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i think we should end it there otherwise yeah. people are just gonna be like rolling yeah. their eyes like uh, and they're uh, just <laughs> high-fiving each other now <laughs> all right thank you guys for listening bye 
thank you so much uh, for listening to this month's episode of the London Rep podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. Um, if you want to keep up with all the things we're doing, check us out. Um, we are at the London Rep across all social media platforms. And you can visit our website, thelondonrep.com, for more information on the projects we have coming up. Um, if you go to thelondonrep.com slash our mission, um, you can join up to, to receive our newsletter and you won't miss any screenings or readings or anything like that that we're up to. Um, do reach out and let us know if there's anyone you'd like us to chat to for next time. Uh, apart from that, thanks for listening. See you later.